get connected with Take Two Radio on Facebook or Twitter at Take Two Radio. For email updates on future shows, follow at Blog Talk Radio. For previous episodes, upcoming guests, and more, visit Take2Radio.com. Maybe. Hmm. The Mallard. The Mallard Report. The fastest hour in paranormal talk radio. Oh. It's the Mallard Report. Hey. It's the Mallard. The opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. All listeners are advised to make their own decisions. And now your host, Jim Mallard. That it is. It's the Mallard Report. And my guest tonight is John A. Carmen. Now, I, I, I talked to John, what was that, last Wednesday or so? Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day that was. And I, I joked with him that his e, his email signature is longer than my bio. I'm not sure how that happened, but, John, you've lived a you've lived a full life. I'm, I'm going to tell you that. How's that sound? Well, so far. <laughs> uh, so, but, well, for the people who haven't seen your full bio, can we give them a, a snapshot before we get head in the tails over the issues here? Oh, you want me to do it? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I came from a military family, so we transferred on every three years. So by the time I went to Japan, I was doing martial arts. Went to three high schools, graduated, and then went into college um, for my law enforcement background, which is what I was studying for anyway. And then I went straight into the Secret Service after I graduated in 74. So, um, two degrees, went into Secret Service in 74. Uh, Nixon had just left. I protected Presidents Ford and Carter, and, and then after a while I got out of that because I wanted to go fight the war on drugs. Went back to California, got on the San Diego Police Department, did that for several years, got into um, private investigations, got my license for that in between. Then I went back to Treasury to reinstate, so I went to the San Francisco U.S. Mint and guarded um, uh, group bullion that we had up there, which doesn't exist anymore, and apparently they changed it into a museum, and um, they took most of the gold out and moved it, I guess, but apparently even Fort Knox is in question. So I was there for 10 months to get reinstated, and then I got into customs, and that's where all the mess started, or the corruption and uh, the stuff I'd reported and uh, the death threats and so forth. So that was like 1983 to about 98. I'm going to tell my listeners, I'm going to just focus in on the corruptions and the the, the corruptions and customs, easy for me to say, um, aspect of your career tonight. I do want to bring you back to talk about Secret Service and a whole bunch in the Mint and there's this a whole bunch of questions that I wrote out the other day. Like I told you, I I've got like four shows worth of notes for you. 
And that's just that's before we start talking about these things, and I, other questions start popping in my mind. So everybody, just just be okay. It's going to take some time to get through all of this, but so you 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 wanted to. I'm just going to dive in now. Tell me if I'm wrong, and just correct me, okay? Sure. You you wanted to work the war on drugs because I I, I think we agree that's important. And then so where did it where did it go wrong? I guess is my question. I guess I'm not even diving into anything here. I just want to know because it seems so simple. You see the drugs, you, you seize the drugs, you seize the people. So where, what, what's the, where was the issue? Well, that's, that's what I'm, I'm suffering through right now is that all I did was my job, and a lot of people are dumbfounded by it. They don't get it, and that's the whole point is I don't get it either because I was a Boy Scout, you know, and I did all my good deeds and stuff like that. And um, I went into law enforcement with good intentions, and I didn't smoke or drink or do anything, and then I did my work honestly. And the problem I ran into in uh, 83 was when I got into customs. I mean, I drove all the way down from San Francisco to San Diego in one night. You know, I was so excited because I just got my transfer papers. But they they did not handle me, I guess, you know, because I was asked to stand, uh, work in San Diego, but they wanted me to go work in Calexico because they had corruption issues. So we almost, like, brought that up at the, at the beginning. And they figured it was somebody with my background, because I was Secret Service trained, uh, you know, my background's impeccable. So, go figure, you know, and then as soon as I seized a bunch of heroin, and I seized narcotics and guns and drugs and illegals and fugitives from the very first day I was there. It's that, there's that much coming through that if you look for it and you know what to do, then you can find it. But I got death threats after I seized a bunch of heroin. And that's not normal for for you to do your job. And then the supervisor, Hispanic supervisor, would have turned the narcotics over the Mexican narcs. It doesn't work like that. It'd be like us seizing a bunch of narcotics here in California and to say, well, we're going to give it to the narcs in Germany or, or uh, Pakistan or some other place. It's the same difference. It's not procedure. You save it, it goes to uh, evidence, and then U.S. attorney uses it to prosecute. Then later it gets destroyed. Real simple, you know. But it wasn't. I mean, it, it, no, it, it, it seems no. really simple to me. I mean, you seize it, you, you save it for evidence, and then it gets destroyed. But obviously this isn't, the system isn't working. Or was it? Well, well, we'll say, we'll say yeah. isn't working. I won't say was, was, wasn't working. I will say isn't working. Yeah, or it's still not working. Um, I just got off the phone with a uh, Customs Internal Affairs SAC agent, which is pretty big. I mean, that guy was responsible for a lot of area. He's retired now, and he admitted to me, we had a nice conversation, and he admitted that, oh, yeah, the guys I used to work with that were internal affairs were, were dirty. So even if you report illegal activity, the people that were supposed to investigate were dirty. So it's like, well, wait a minute. There's a problem there. So even when I reported uh, the illegal activity to the director who was in San Diego, the head director at that time was Alan J. Rappaport, he had issues, but all he did was, you know, say, oh, that'll never happen again. We we slapped his wrist. He'll never do it again. Uh, B.S. If I did it one time, I'm being arrested by internal affairs, taken to the federal uh, prison, and a waiting trial. 
That's how that works. And then you're going to get 18 months minimum average for most federal employees that admit guilt if they're caught. 18 months. That's the way it works. I've seen it. I've asked guys, hey, what are you doing down here? Oh, I got a case. Really? What are you doing? And I didn't realize the guy was talking about his own case. He he was passing loads or something. And, you know, the guy worked like in the next lane over or something. So San Diego, by the way, also has the world's largest border entry point in the United States. And a lot of people don't realize that. That's 24 lanes of constant traffic right now. 24-7, now, going, right now. You got 15, 20 seconds on average. Uh, you're going to get about 150 cars per half hour, basically, 20 minutes to half hour. You know, do the math or whatever. You know, you're going to be passing a lot of vehicles and seeing a lot of people, you know. I'm sitting over here. I'm sorry. I'm listening, but I, I just drew out 24 little lines on my paper just so I could get a visual of that kind of mess. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm from Western right. Pennsylvania, and the biggest road I see is like six lanes, you know, for each right. direction. So that well, is just... Well, in Mexico, they got like eight lanes plus the uh, rail car or railroad entry point. So they've got railroad tracks that also go through some points along the fence, not directly involved with the regular pedestrian traffic, but they've got it you know, maybe 100, 200, 300 yards away or close by like in Calexico. So after the eight lanes, they've got a special fence that opens up, and then you got rail cars that come in, and then after they're finished, they shut the fence, and then they double-check the numbers on the cars. You know, I called up a friend of mine who was a supervisor there one time, and I told him to check the cars, the rail cars, and they did, and they got like over 1,000 pounds of marijuana or something. That's, that's, and, and it was in the newspaper and all kinds of stuff. But I didn't get any credit for it, but that's because that was a separate issue. But and, and then they alternate each lane. So if you got one through twenty-four, they may have one or two closed off once in a while. But you're going to have immigration, customs, immigration, customs. So they alternate them. See what I mean? So they're they're making it look like. You're not just going to go through an immigration lane, and that, and that means the smugglers are bringing drugs through the immigration, and the immigration problems are going to go through the customs guys. And we're cross-trained anyway, but that's how the smugglers think, you know. Right. So let's let's go. Uh, as I was say, let's let's go back to right before you decided that you had to sit, stand up and say something. What, what, what okay. were those what were those nights like before that? Where I'm imagining they were pretty sleepless, and as you were trying to weigh out. Because, I mean, it kind of, speaking of train tracks, I'll use that analogy, derailed your career. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question a lot of people don't understand. I mean, yeah, you know, Ed Snowden's name comes to mind. Julian Assange, Julian Assange's name comes to mind, and he's hiding up uh, in an embassy. My background was law enforcement. That's what I did. See, I wasn't doing anything illegal. So, part of the responsibilities of a federal officer under 18 U.S.C. 201 is bribery. Um, if you get bribed or somebody comes up to you and offers you a bribe, you're supposed to report it, okay? Same thing if people are being treated differently. So, in a law enforcement situation, it's pretty black and white. Really. If you yeah, think about it, I mean, 
Yeah. Right? So, I mean, I went to college. I went to police academies. I went to all that training. I, I was well, I, I didn't. I, could, I mean, I know I, I didn't. I know what's right and wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's just the idea that there are some people out there with different backgrounds that I'm thinking, well, I'll pick on the Hispanics a little bit because I was on the southern border. So that means that technically, and this is stuff people don't think about, see, our agencies are being infiltrated by cartel people. Some people are just straight guys, but they have connections to Mexico, for instance, or their relatives in Mexico. So the cartels will find out, oh, yeah, so-and-so's got a brother or an aunt or an uncle or a relative or somebody that works at the border. They will get hit up by cartel people in Mexico, and then they will put pressure on the family down there. Or they will put some sort of situation that makes it very difficult, or, or they'll, they'll offer money, you know, like the old Mexican saying, plomo o plata, which is lead or silver. So what would you take, right? Well, it depends. Are they bullets or are we just offering lead? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just what it means, bullets or, or silvers or coins. But they've, they've had cases where guys have had uh, cartel people follow these guys to their homes and then confront them like, yeah, hi, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. We just wanted to say hi and that we know where you live, type of thing. And then they'd walk off or walk away or something, or, or make their offer to the guy and say, yeah, we'll be in touch. And, and in my case, I had supervisors that were doing things that were improper, out of procedure. You have to follow procedures. It's real simple. You know, you do your job. You spot somebody who's nervous or you spot somebody who's wearing a certain type of clothes or you see a vehicle that's a special vehicle or you tap it and you hear noise. There's, there's thousands of ways to find out on what you're looking at. So I looked at airplanes, boats, ships, international flights. I found money and I was looking for drugs. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So... Uh, and you, there's a procedure. You have to do a report. You fill out paperwork. You know, the whole thing about paperwork, it's there. I've seized guns, everything. Um, but when the supervisor gets involved and, and tries to circumvent that, that's a problem. And then when you get uh, treated accordingly, yeah, there's a jealousy thing, maybe. But I'm not used to getting death threats off right off the bat when I seized a bunch of heroin. And I was looking for it for like, you know, special, it was a special profile. Some guy wore special shoes that were extra thick. And, you know, if you know what a Snickers candy bar is, the old-fashioned ones, the big ones, that's the size that they would cut out into the sole of the shoe. This guy was so bold, he not only had it cut out and put into the shoes in the sole, he had some in his socks, too. And he tried to walk through with that. <laughs> he didn't make it, you know. So I, I just, just want. That's I, I just one example. I, I just want to be clear before we continue down this path of where where it went and how it ended, where it has well, I don't think it's yeah, really ended, well, but it's still going. It's still yeah. happening. I'm still going through retaliation. Um, there's some things I don't go into, but we'll think about that for a second. But 
it's like, okay, I just did my job. Uh, I got death threats. Yeah, that's probably partially normal for the type of job that you're doing. But I had a, a wife and a kid at that time, a brand new baby, and I was supposed to transfer. So I, I used that as an excuse. That's it. I got a death threat on my unlisted phone number, and the idiot actually left a voicemail. So I kept it, turned it into internal affairs. And then I called up and uh, asked for transfer back to San Diego, and I got it. So I got two weeks off, transferred, relocated, did all that stuff. These guys could have relocated me to Hawaii if I wanted, but they didn't, you know, and a promotion. But that's how it goes. See, I was technically an outsider in the area that I was working in the desert, which I'll mention again is Calexico. It's 116 miles east of San Diego. San Diego is normally nice and cool, except for today. We're in the hundreds. Um, 115 degrees in Calexico in the months of August, September, or July, August, September, right about now. So it's miserable, it's dangerous, and you have to, you know, hydrate a lot, you know, just to keep from passing out or whatever. Somebody play that clip back to me the next time I'm complaining, it's 85. (laughs) Yeah, 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 80-something's not too bad, but when you're already at the 100, you know, then you look at the humidity level, that's what kills you. But, again... I suffered retaliation. I was an excellent or an outstanding employee. I still had problems with managers, which means there's a problem here. It's like normally you get rewarded. If you're in the military or the Boy Scouts or some other company, they rewarded you. I would have had more in-step increases, more money. Uh, I had accommodations, you know, a mile long. You could look at my uh, website. I think it's still there. Uh, customscorruption.com and off to the left or at the bar near the middle top somewhere there's a thing for uh, my resume or my uh, accommodations list but I was getting commissioner's accommodations from Washington D.C. you know and some guys get upwards of $10,000 on a thing bumps you into a tax bracket but still you're getting some sort of positive reinforcement for doing your job but they still were holding back so I'll give you an example. I worked midnight shifts, hate midnights, but I did it, and I got like three loads in one night. And then another time I got three loads in three separate days in a row. Then the uh, uh, director came down with a pizza one night, and I slept in one time. I go, oh, my God. They called up and said, hey, John, oh, my God, I'm late. <laughs> you know? And but that, that was just some sort of response. But... There's other people out there who are not looking, and I work with people like that. So if you figure you're looking and the other guy's not looking or he's taking bribes and I ran into guys like that, they're making the job harder. So, yeah, well, I mean, if you, if, if you, if your immediate, this is what I'm taking away from the first part of this. Tell me if I'm wrong here. The, your immediate supervisor was on, on the, on the taker crooked. And then the people that if you felt something was going wrong were crooked, where, where do you, you know, go next? Well, okay. See, since my background is law enforcement and my military family has a special thing on discipline and training and whatnot, then the best thing to do is to prove it, prove that the system works. That was my intent. I want to prove the system works. Otherwise, I don't have a way of standing up in court and say, yeah, I already did that, because that's what they'll do is they'll, 
they'll make you jump through all the hoops. Prove to us that you went through the chain of command. Well, I did. I, I reported to the immediate supervisor the stuff that I could report. And the stuff that I couldn't report to an immediate is easily turned over to internal affairs. They're supposed to take down with confidence, and they, they weren't. They were crooked internal affairs people. Sometimes they would turn it back over to your supervisors higher up just because that, that's what they did on certain cases, and then you're reporting back to yourself, basically, which is not good. Then, after I figured out the system that way, I went to the Office of the Inspector General. I also went to the uh, ASPB, which is American Assistance Protection Board, the um, the, uh, oh, the the other agencies that they had. Those were administrative-type agencies that handled discrimination and stuff like that. Because once you start reporting, they start coming back on you because they don't like people reporting their illegal activities, uh, whether it's EEOC, uh, race-related, or otherwise. And believe me, there's people there that are like in the Mexican mob. And there's there's people that are, that are doing the other thing. I have one guy was telling me, yeah, they got the white guys are doing stuff against the Mexicans. It doesn't matter. It's all interrelated. So by the time you go to the Office of Special Counsel, which is a waste of time, there's, a, there's an agency back in D.C. where they got little gray-haired old ladies that will call up your boss and say, well, Mr. Carmen's complaining, or Mr. Mallory is complaining about something. And, is that true? And they'll say, oh, of course not. Oh, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Click. You know, and then that's how, that's how stupid that is. And then you end up going to the Office of the Inspector General. And for, for most people out there who don't know what the OIG is, just about every agency, including the CIA, has an OIG. So they have an oversight internal affairs system. I don't think I would trust the CIA on that because they're not going to they're not going to carry out investigations on themselves, basically. So then you go to your congressman, then you go to the Senate or the Congress. Then you, I, I took it all the way to the NDCP, you know, the National Drug Control Policy Director at the Executive Office Building next to that white building called the White House in D.C. Then you go to the Oval Office just for giggles. You might as well just throw it at him and see if, if he responds because they're going to know. You know, then it goes to the Secretary of Treasury. You know the guy that signs those bills that you have in your pocket right now? Secretary of Treasury? Yeah, that guy. That's that's pretty high up, right? Right. Yeah, so they didn't respond the same way I thought they did. I actually spoke to a Secretary of Treasury uh, back in the 80s or 90s, and I came out publicly after I started talking to the news media and ended up talking to a guy named Mike Wallace. Uh, for 60 minutes. I don't know if you ever heard of him. I have. And, uh, okay, I'm being a little facetious. I have to throw that in there. Well, you know, it's, called cop, it's called cop humor, you know. <laughs> well, just for the record, because I'm a little bit younger, so I just want to throw that out there for my listeners that I'm, you know, I have. So, you know, just got to, you know, keep things straight. <laughs> um, I did three and a half hours with Mike, I'm sorry, Mike Wallace. He's since passed away, but... We had we had an interest in the media. I was on Dateline NBC. They covered our faces, and that was supposed to be for our protection. But, you know, darn well, as soon as the story came out, people would look at you different, and it'd be like, yeah, John Carmen, yeah, but he was one of them, because he knows I had the cojones. I didn't want to say the other word, but... Uh, 
to do or the intestinal fortitude to do what I did. You know, I mean, damn it, we, we, you got to do what's right. And if they're not doing what's right, you expose it. That's the purpose. That's what Julian Assange and Ed Snowden are doing. They, they kind of jumped the gun, but uh, look at what they did, what they went through. They didn't have a procedure to go through because it was too dangerous or too risky, so they had to jump all the way to the end result and get in their situation, which is kind of rough. Because one guy's hanging out in an embassy for, what, three or four years now, and the other guy's walking around Russia, I guess, okay, and Putin's an all right guy. I've done the research. He's he's protecting and doing whatever he has to do. But um, for other whistleblowers, they are trained. They don't get it. They're not disciplined, or they don't know how to approach reporting and protecting themselves and so forth. And I had I got attacks. I got people trying to break into my apartment late at night. I carried a weapon. You can hold on to a cell phone, talk to nine one one, or you set you with a pair ordinance forty five with fifteen shots, and wait. You know, if the guy breaks in, you do what you have to do. But it can get messy. You know, people tampering with the vehicle. Um, I even had a car crash where somebody hit me when I was trying to go across the street just to park. And the guy's driving around at nighttime without his lights on, right? At 100 miles an hour, go figure. That's that's kind of hard for some people to imagine when you get T-boned. And I'm a big guy. I couldn't believe I got hit the way it was done. That's what centrifugal force does. So uh, four broken ribs. Then I went back to work three days later because I was on injury leave for uh, carbon monoxide inhalation thing. Another, another, you know, um, small problem at work type of issue where, you know, you have to deal with that stuff, too, because there's a lot of cars, right? Yeah, we were just discussing that, though. I got my 24 lines here still. That's a lot of cars. Yeah, yeah even with the fans going, the, the fan below your feet sucking air to suck the fumes away from you, and a fan up on top in the little area there to push it down. You know, if you're back at the airport seaport, you're not getting any of that. So they have to rotate you a certain amount. You're not supposed to be out there on the lanes so much. And then, of course, I work pedestrian. So, I mean, I was looking at body carries and people carrying uh, money in their in their pants and drugs and all kinds of stuff. And I, I had excessive amounts of seizures. I mean, I was getting stuff. I was getting stuff daily. You know, like one guy was trying to smuggling something called ketamine. You know, he looked like a hippie, you know, the old-fashioned, long-haired, skinny guy and his girlfriend, and they were nervous. So I grabbed him, and he started flying like he was getting rid of a fly, literally. He was, like, climbing up the side of a pickup truck or something. It was crazy. And the female had a bunch of syringes. So don't do ketamine, kids. It's not good for you. It's for the animals. It's like animal tranquilizer, basically. Yeah. You know, NFC's marijuana, cocaine, heroin was the big one. That's a big one, and that's where I got the death threats. LSD, meth. I, I put guys in prison for meth. That, I, in fact, all my cases, I never had to go to court. Okay, that's a big deal. Think about it. If I had a hundred cases and not one of them I had to go to court, it's because I wrote excellent reports, and I did. And I've only reached a point where I have to tell people about it like that because some people don't understand. Some guys that I worked with were supervisors, were illiterate, 
And they told me, oh, you put too many details in your report, John. No, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, who, what, how, where, when, and why put it in there. And the U.S. attorney is going to go, oh, there's nothing we have to ask. It's all here. The guy gives up. He pleads guilty. And he does his time. You know. So I, I've I've got a I've got a interesting question for you at this point because sure. as you know we normally do a paranormal show but th- this is the question that I wanted to get to in this this block of what we're talking about tonight. What would your advice? What, what would your advice be? Well, no, this is this is this is not a paranormal question, but it kind of is because if somebody's out there who's working in Area 51 wants to talk about that stuff or anywhere else, I yeah. guess is is what I'm asking for. What would your advice be to somebody who has a situation they need to? Blow the whistle on. Oh, goodness. I, I joke to people. I ran into some guys today, as a matter of fact, uh, some Hispanic people, and I was going to get my car tinted because I have to. I had a window smashed up just a couple of days ago. Somebody smashed my window, took out my trauma kits, and I routinely say, don't Google John Carman, C-A-R-M-A-N. Don't Google CustomsCorruption.com. I also tell people, don't be a whistleblower when you grow up. You know, it's just one of these things I say jokingly, but I'm being truthful at the same time. That's why it's kind of a facetious remark, but John Carmen doesn't tell you something unless there's a special reason behind it. You know, if you know what you're doing and you're trained and you're dedicated and you're an American citizen and you are uh, loyal to the oath, to preserve, protect, defend. Remember that. Preserve, protect, defend. PPD. A lot of people don't even think about it. I mean, look how many presidential oaths that you've watched on television and the guy screws up. You know, I won't pick on the guy from Kenya this week, but, you know, I, I could go on that direction. But it takes a special kind of person to be a whistleblower. And it's not a fun ride either. You do what you have to do because that's what you're supposed to do. But if you don't, You'll end up like a lot of these other guys, like, uh, I'll pick on Gary Aldrich, former FBI. He worked at the White House Executive Office Building. He ran checks on everybody through the NCIC because that's what he did for background checks. He wrote a book. People wait till they retire after 20 years to say, oh, yeah, I was a whistleblower. I, I'm going to expose this. Or oh, how come you didn't report it when it happened? Oh, because of my retirement. I want to protect my retirement. Screw the retirement, Jim. That's yeah. that's BS. You know, that's now. I wasn't there taking the oath of office, and I've taken several oaths of office. And if you know what that means, there's no disclaimer at the bottom that says except when your pension is at risk or something. You know what I mean? Right. That's just that's just crazy. I can imagine George Washington rolling over in his grave right now. Thinking, oh my God, these people are going to keep their mouths shut about corruption or illegal activity because, well, they've got their pension. You know, that doesn't make sense. I, I, I can't work. I can't work with that. That doesn't make sense. You know, so I'm going to do what's right. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and it's a rough ride, and I'm still going through it. You know, there's a lot of changes and stuff, but. I'm hoping for a new president here pretty soon, and then that way things can get fixed or not. And I, I don't have any negative feelings about Trump, so that's, that's where I would go. You know, if you want to go off on the other stuff, I could talk about that stuff too. <laughs> well, no, I've got a whole bunch more questions about 
Well, I guess drugs. For the, well, before I forget, sure. I guess before sure. I forget, um, Germantown runner, and I guess I should echo these ones because I didn't do it earlier. Thank you for your military service, first and foremost, before I forget again. Oh, I wasn't in the military. My dad was in the okay. military. I came from a military family. Okay, sorry about I that. In, I was in, I, I, no, that's okay. I was in the Civil uh, Civil War Patrol for a while, and then uh, I worked undercover on a military base. That's a separate interview altogether. <laughs> but I don't know. You want to consider the Secret Service and law enforcement? Then well, I'll go that direction. Okay, we, we'll, we'll honor that commitment as well. Hey, I used to protect the commander-in-chief, so how high up is that? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, somewhere in there, well, he's the, yeah, so, yeah. You know what I mean. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, I the, this next question is kind of a, a simple question with a big answer, I'm sure. So, let's, let's get to it. Has sure. the war has the war on drugs been a success? No. It's a lie. And if anybody want to hear that again, I'll tell them again. It's a lie because why do we have military people, troops in Afghanistan, protecting poppy fields right now? Okay, so I'm putting myself in the other category because I've got hundreds of connections. And if you want to talk about Gary Webb, I knew him. I've got a picture of him with me with uh, Maxine Waters, the congresswoman from L.A., on my second page, if you scroll down. And this guy was exposing the stuff about the CIA. Well, the CIA is importing drugs. They're giving it to Hiro Ricky Ross, the uh, drug dealer who just got out of prison recently. They did the movie Kill the Messenger, which I still haven't seen because it's going to be wrong no matter what. Um, and then another friend of mine, Mike Rupert, died. Gary Webb supposedly committed suicide. That's a serious question when you've got a guy who's got a revolver. And shot himself twice. You know, and I'm thinking about Vince Foster and these other Clinton body count cases, and I know stuff about those too, but there's a lot of stuff that they're just covering up. So if I'm out there busting my rear end trying to catch drugs, and then I'm supposed to go to the airport and clear a private jet that just came in over by Otai, which is like five, six miles from San Diego, where the main border port is and then we get a call from the district director saying do not approach the plane or the jet and we know the DEA is on that plane I said well if it's DEA then it's DEA so what we still have to check them that's the law do you remember when the guy walked on the moon back in 69 and he brought back some moon rocks yeah Right, Neil Armstrong well, and a couple other people had this stuff up there right well uh, U.S. Customs had to clear those those astronauts and their moon rocks. There's paperwork. There's a declaration. They had to sign it. I've seen it. I've seen the rocks. They had it on display. They had the document on display. It's official. So if we had a friendly alien land his saucer at the White House lawn, which is rarely going to happen, and it has to be a customs official to greet them and, and get an immigration customs declaration and <laughs> clear all the paperwork, which, uh, you know, it may the president might wave, but it's, it's kind of funny because it's a procedure. So it happens. I'm, I'm, I'm losing track of my photo here. No, I'm sitting here thinking about the, the astronauts coming back and having to go through customs is what I'm sitting here thinking about. And then you just lay alien on top of that, and my mind just kind of blows up. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, well, when I was in Secret Service, I protected Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was going to expose the um, Operation Blue Book, correct? Yes. Right? You remember that, don't you? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sitting there going, okay, I just protected Ford. I used to work at the mission, foreign missions protecting uh, the embassies. Every embassy, especially the Russian embassy, the Israeli embassy, you name it. Uh, because Carlos the Jackal and his group was out there setting up bombs. And I was in at least two or three situations where they set off a bomb right next to the Russian embassy one night and another one. Always happens on midnight, of course. And then another one near the Venezuelan embassy. But anyway, when Carter got into office, you'd go, okay, let's see what happens, right? And then one day he's making an announcement, and the guy's practically in tears. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't keep that campaign promise. Uh, you know, it didn't work out like the way we thought. Uh, he got briefed. The, the candidates right now, Neck and neck as they are, they're going to start getting special briefs. And I've got different sources of information that will tell you that, yeah, the president is briefed on special information daily. And I used to clear people from the CIA sometimes at the White House just for one single piece of paper in a briefcase. And these guys briefed him, and he finally got told the truth. And you can't talk about it in 51 because it's real. See, but you just it's real easy. You put two and two together, you know, obviously they're real because he can't talk about it, right? Right. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I mean, if it was empty or there's nothing there, I think we'd have pictures or video or whatever. It's worse, it's worse than that. And I'm going to refer you to a website because I know another guy. I know a lot of whistleblowers. See, that's what makes it worse is I'm multiplying. <laughs> you know, I'm contacting other people about different areas, and I have an interest in that area, especially, too. Uh, the UFO Crash Book, or UFOCrashbook.com, I think it's Donald Ware. And he had some Secret Service guys going with uh, Eisenhower to meet with an alien spaceship or a saucer in Holloman or Edwards. Or one of the other air, uh, air bases in the desert, because they always mix and interchange the names all the time. And two of the agents that were there that flew with him and then drove him out to the air base, they shut the air base down for a whole eight hours. Two of those agents were on the Kennedy assassination within a couple of years later. Uh, Kellerman comes to mind. I think Kellerman was actually in the vehicle. With uh, the with Kennedy, and I've seen the vehicle. I've I've seen it. I've touched it. I saw it in 1974. We could go off on a Kennedy thing, but uh, the point is, if you got a guy who's a president, he goes aboard a spaceship. The Secret Service has to go with him because what would happen if they just decided to take off? Zip, they're gone. Right? What yeah. are you gonna do? Well, you gotta call this other guy up. The vice president. You know who the vice president was when uh, Eisenhower was there? Uh, Richard Nixon. Wasn't that Richard Nixon? Richard Middlehouse Nixon. And I'm not the White House uh, tour guide, but yeah, think about it. So here's this guy doing Watergate stuff later, Bay of Pigs. Everything was Bay of Pigs. He didn't want to meet with the aliens because he knew they had telepathy powers. Go figure. <laughs> and yet, since Truman, Truman, we've had meetings, to my knowledge. So, 1947, right? So, Truman, Eisenhower, and then uh, Kennedy, and then 
LBJ. LBJ was another discussion altogether. And then Nixon up to uh, Ford and Carter, Ford and Carter, if I got it right. And I don't know. Some people say they have these special needs, you know, the Majestic 12 and all that stuff. So it's hard to hard to tell. So anyway, I sort of went off on a tangent, but I can still intelligently talk about that stuff because that's a very interesting part that I've looked at on the side that I don't usually talk to other people about because a lot of people don't have the intelligence for it. And now, and I want to, like I said, I'm going to bring you back on at least, I've got a couple more shows worth of notes for you, but I want to tease a story that I want you to tell, not this time, I want to tease it for next time you're on. About a Secret Service officer in the White House. About what? About a Secret Service officer in the White House. And Which some, one? Uh, well, about the, <laughs> about the one who um, seen something and did something. We're just going to tease it. We're not going to tell it this time. But it's, oh, okay. It's the most amazing yeah, story I've ever been told. And we're, I'm not going to let you tell it tonight. Because I want to ask you oh, a whole okay. bunch of Secret Service questions and... All that other stuff. So we don't have. We only got about twenty minutes left. And we're not going to have time to get all of those out tonight. So. Oh, that's going to be a mean tease. That know? is a that. Is, like I said, it's the most amazing story I've been told in connection with this show, in the five years I've done it. The same. Did we talked about it earlier. Yeah, we talked. We talked about it when we talked the other day. Okay, good. I, I kind of have an idea then, so I won't spoil it. I'll just yeah, don't, don't spoil it. <laughs> that's just and that's just and that's just one of the things we talked about. I didn't tell you about the other stuff. It kind of happens behind the scenes, you know, but that's that's uh, like saying, well, the difference between the Jimmy Carter administration and the Clintons was the Clintons got accused of stealing property and they had to return it back to the White House. So I guess people do that when they go to hotels. They steal the pillows, the uh, rubs, and the, you know, the soap, the soap dish and all that stuff, right? And the silverware, right? Right. No, no, but it's not good. But. <laughs> That's another political. Yeah, but like I'm saying, this story is just simply amazing, and I I don't know. I, we haven't figured out the next date, but it's going to be sooner than later. But okay, that's so submit a list. I mean, if your people you know want to hear about something special, just have them ask. I mean, I'm I used to do just call-ins, you know, because I, I my first interview in studio was with uh, George Putnam at, at KIEV Radio back in '94 '95. There's a picture of me on the website that I've got. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, nice uh, he, was, he was an icon, you know, real nice guy. Okay, so back to the original topic for the night, because I'm sure. getting shifting back to my notes as I'm scribbling other notes for other these other shows I've got. Should we just decriminalize all these drugs? Good question. Um, no, not all of them. Marijuana? Yes, because marijuana, and I've done the research, and I've been quoted in High Times Magazine, if you know what that magazine is, and I've looked at it, and for medicinal purposes, yes, I agree. In fact, I've got a medical marijuana card right now, haven't used it, and I drove right by a place, a dispensary, and I thought, God, I was going to go in, but no, I'm going to wait. And I've got medical issues. I'm 63, I'm an athlete and all that, but I still have, like... Uh, neuropathy in the feet. I'm uh, technically diagnosed with severe osteoporosis arthritis, which is better than it was before because I take supplements. But yeah, I've got a few uh, things here. You know, diabetes. That everybody I know has got diabetes right now. They drink too much sodas or something. 
you know, you're at work, you're, you want to get something to drink, and you tend to drink a soda or something, or you might sip on something all day. But, yeah, all this stuff adds up. I think if they decriminalized it, and people like Willie Nelson and a couple other people in uh, Oregon, Colorado, and a few other states, they're going to make their own brand, and then you could buy it. And legally in the states, you can use it medicinally or otherwise. But if you go to a federal border, don't do it. You'll get caught. Then if they have a federal task force that not, decides to knock on your door, that's federal. They still haven't recognized it. And I thought they were going to pass a uh, law here recently to change the scheduling because it's a Schedule One drug and it should be a Schedule Two which means you can get a prescription for it or not. But I'm going to throw this at you. If you went and got a medical exam by a doctor like I did, guess what? He's licensed by the state. And guess what? On top of that, he's got a DEA license number that authorizes him to give you narcotics. Marijuana is considered uh, considered a Schedule One or Two drug. He can recommend and put that in a prescription. Got one. No problem. It's just expensive. CBD oil, you know, that kind of thing. In fact, I read a book uh, that makes it even more interesting if I can quote the book name. is called um, Sex, Drugs, Violence, and the Bible by Chris Bennett and Neil McQueen. I think you can go on one of the major sites and probably get it. It's printed in Canada. But it's very educational because uh, I was looking to research SOMA or the anointing oils that Jesus had, or uh, King David and all these guys. And they had they had this stuff broken down, they have the recipe, and they, they have what they call a soma. Well, that's cannabis. And our bodies have cannabinoid receptors in our bodies, so that if we eat that stuff raw, it's, nutri- it's a nu- nutritional. If you heat it, smoke it, or heat it, that's the THC, and that's where people get high. But look at all the people you could heal by just doing a little bit of, you know, raw stuff. Of course, that's my narcotics training coming out, too, because as a narcotics officer, I was trained to recognize all kinds of stuff and how to, how to make it, how to do all kinds of stuff with it. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm a lifetime narcotics officer, lifetime member. You know, one of those recognition things. After you do 10 years of a certain type of job, they recognize it and they give that status. But, like, I'm a drug recognition expert, DRE expert. The the stuff that you are just never ceases to amaze me. I don't know how you remember your name, but that's just... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you gotta keep you gotta keep educating yourself. I mean, ever since I had a, a computer, oh my God, it was like yeah, I used a computer at work. You know, yeah, give me your name, date of birth, and I'll run your name, date of birth. I'll run a license plate. I'll find a criminal history. I'll do whatever I gotta find out. That's different. That's just certain localized research. But when you're on the internet, like you and my, you and me are talking right now, and there's other people listening in, and have the ability to do a Skype or something, and all these other things, I can sit here and do research while we're talking. And but the research is the point. We have such access to so much information, you cannot do it just an hour a day. And I and I I used to do it like you know eight to ten hours a day, easy. So it's broken down, you know, a couple hours in the morning, a couple hours in the afternoon, and sometimes in the evening while I'm listening to a radio show or something. Right. 
Thank God for the Mallory Report, right? <laughs> well, I'm not the only one out there, but if you're the only one you listen to, oh, wait, never mind. Okay, the question of the night, <laughs> brought to you by the Mallory Report. Listen, review, yeah. and subscribe. Okay, the question of the night, do you regret, do you regret it? No, well, never. See, I didn't even have to go any further than that. That'd be like saying, well, I could ask what's your name out on a date. Yeah, stuff like that I might regret. But as far as law enforcement, I did it. I trained hard for it. I don't know if you got anybody that's into martial arts or not, but when you're in martial arts, that's a special training. That's discipline. And you push your body as far as you can. I used to run six miles a day. That's what really kills me is I hate being indoors or something. You know, I, I wish my feet were in better shape and I lost like 100 pounds and I can go back out and, you know, do six miles a day, you know, and all that other stuff. But I do martial arts on the side. You know, stretching all that. But, no, I, I mean, how many people do you know that wouldn't live out their dreams? I mean, I could think back when, oh, I should have done something, but I had an injury. You know, I was in the heavyweight uh, championship in Japan. I also got first place shot put when I was in track and field, and I played football. I played all the sports. There, there probably wasn't a sport that I haven't touched. You know. But I was good. I, I shouldn't say good. I was excellent and outstanding, but people don't understand that dedication. But my goal is to go into law enforcement. See? So, no, I did my life's dream. That's what I wanted to do is be a cop or a fed or something other than a forest ranger and a fireman. Okay? What's wrong with forest rangers? <laughs> Not a darn thing. In fact, now now they're carrying guns. So when I was a kid in 1950-something, um, it was a big deal. Smokey the Bear, you know, look at that. I want to prevent forest fires. I want to save people. I want to save the forest. I want to save the animals. Beautiful. You know, so I'm kind of an activist in other areas, I guess. But, yeah, I thought, no, I need to be more aggressive. And the fireman thing's good, too. But, yeah, I think I better be a cop or something. You know, so that was my mindset when I was like five or six. And some people don't get that. And I said, oh, wait a minute, Bruce Lee trained when he was a kid and he did all kinds of stuff. So it's like saying Bruce Lee was a dancer. And they'll go, really? Are you kidding? I said, yeah. Yeah, he used to dance too. He did martial arts, but he knew, also knew how to do the cha-cha or something. And I'm going, did you learn to da dance too? I said, yeah, it's part of training. What do you think James Bond did? Did he trained to do all these things? Yes, he did. Was he military? Yeah, he was. He could go into any situation and blend in or do whatever he had to do and still come out like James Bond. I mean, you know, it's the James Bond profile. I hate to throw it at some people like that because they really, even today, people don't understand when you say, I was Secret Service. There's a guy named Dan Bongino who ran for office in uh, Maryland not too long ago. And he's in another state right now, but he got into some tiff with somebody and they'd say, yeah, but you know, what about this? What about that? And they said, Hey man, you can't challenge me. I was secret service. What did you do? Yeah, it sounds kind of arrogant, but still people don't really understand our training. You know, they really don't. And, and on top of that, would you be willing to take a bullet for the principal, you know, the president or whoever? And they actually ask you that too, you know. Well, yeah, like I said, I've got a whole show worth of Secret Service questions for you, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, you <laughs> I, it's just, 
<laughs> yeah, back to drugs. <laughs> how, how do we? Uh, you gotta get me focused because it's, it's it's the medication. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're 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 staying on track. We haven't we haven't devolved any of the quite. We we've hinted to the Secret Service show that I want to do with you. We haven't gave any of it away yet, which is good. Um, well, again, again, the government would make no money unless they taxed it. So what did they do with tobacco? They taxed it. What did they do with alcohol? They taxed it. If they take marijuana today, legalize it, and then found a way to tax it, we wouldn't have to worry about Social Security. We wouldn't have to worry about anything. You understand? That's a big money crop, literally. The cartels will either go legitimate and start importing it into the United States, or they would find another way to do it and tax it and control it. That's the point. Then you would have alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and marijuana agency. It just as a kick. You know, I was just thinking, can that agency get any better? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're doing it already. So, but yeah, if they legalize it, I think it would be good if they give it to a certain point, so it's legitimately given out at a reasonable price, so people could afford it. And if you can't, why not put it on the medical system? I mean, I get I get medications free, so that means if you work for the country or, or not, or you're poor or not, then you should be able to get medicine for free. Period. And if that works, it works. And I've done research. I mean, you know, why why don't they? Why don't they have it legalized? Because it's a political thing. It makes money. It makes more money to do it illegally than it does to do legally. See, there's people at the border uh, saying the same thing. You know, the old argument. Well, it doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, you're right. You get some marijuana. You smoke it. It doesn't hurt anybody. But the guy that smuggled it across risked his life. Some of them get killed. Some of them get arrested. And if it's a uh, severe controlled substance like cocaine, if you if you get arrested, you better be able to prove that you're arrested. And then if you screwed up really bad, they're going to get you anyway. But marijuana is different. So, yeah, five or 600 pounds, you know, they had a, a zero tolerance policy. So if it was over 500 pounds, you're going to jail or prison, rather. If it was less than that, and they knew what the, the levels were from the U.S. Attorney's Office, you know, sort of them calling them up. Yeah, what's the level? Oh, it's 550. Okay, we'll, we'll do 525. And they'll take some, some stuff in a trunk and somebody will get through or something. They're flying it. They're driving it. They're tunneling it. You know, that's stuff that they don't want you to know about. You know, the tunnels, the military flights, and the special jets that come in, even military. That brings up the Colonel Sabo incident. He was killed because he was getting ready to report that stuff. Sonny Bono, the congressman, I don't know if we talked about that. I sent him a VHS tape 10 days before he got killed. He was getting ready to take my information and then expose and talk to the Senate uh, committees. So somebody killed him. So some of the people I've talked to actually got killed. So this is kind of like, well, you know, you got to look at it for what it is, but just be prepared, you know. So this is this concludes the uh, Frank and Tom show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentioned it a couple times throughout the course of the interview, but why don't you go ahead and tell the people the website again and 
all that. Well, customscorruption.com, or you can Google John Carmen. Like I tell some people, don't Google my name, but that's that's a hint to do it. It's kind of like reverse psychology or a sarcastic joke. You know, C-A-R-M-A-N. But um, remember, there's two pages. So if you scroll down, you'll see all the way down at the bottom. That's like the harshest information. And up towards the top was the most recent. Up to about 2007, before I kind of got cut off. And if you're familiar with the uh, Wayback Machine, which is now called thearchive.org or waybackmachine.org, you can go back and look at the same website with all the information that may have been attacked or removed or tampered with. Because I don't have a webmaster. I don't even have it up to date right now. And there's, I was putting information about current employees that got busted people I used to know or work with, and I've got several people I need to update and put that out. But uh, go to page two. There's all the cool pictures. Me with uh, Mr. George Putnam. Maybe you might recognize uh, Martin Milner from Adam 12 or um, Joseph Wambaugh, who, who wrote a lot of books about cops and LAPD. You know, just to name a few. Oh, Mike Herbert, Sally Castillo, Terry Reed. Terry Reed's a good one. Terry Reed used to fly with uh, Barry Steele. I was going to say, I've spent the last, well, we talked, what was it, Wednesday, and I've spent, I don't want to say every waking moment, but a lot of my free time clicking around your site, reading these articles, and I, I'm still not done, and I'm still, I know that I've still got more to go with you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you more about these different, like I said, these different things that I want to get out of you, um, yeah, because you have the knowledge. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime work. You know what you're looking at. I've got enough to have several books, and I'm looking for a publisher right now. But it seems like uh, you have to die, like uh, Gary Webb or something, before someone says, "Hey, that's a good book. Let's take it and make it a movie or something." You know, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And then you then you have no control over it once you die. So. I wish I could get a publisher, get the movie done, and then go from there because, you know, there's a lot of chapters because that is a lifetime work. You know, yeah, you wouldn't it, believe the stuff I had to put into it, you know. And like I said, we haven't touched any of the the, the police work and private investigations. That's a, whole, that's a whole show I want to talk to you about some of that stuff because that yeah. directly relates to when people are out talking to people about paranormal experiences and then the Secret Service stuff, which I teased earlier. I can't even believe that story. <laughs> I still can't. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, yeah, just, there's so much out there. The, so. We won't talk about the ghost at the White House, okay? But we can do it later. Okay. Well, you, you cut, but there, that, that's, that's just a fraction of it. That's so much better than I that. Know. Well, John, I promised you the fastest hour in Paranormal Talk Radio, and I think we hit it. Because yeah. we're out of time. Cool. Whew. Well, thank you again, and we'll be in touch to get these other dates figured out. Um, I've got. I think I've got one in October and one in November. Just kind of playing forward here, um, but uh, man, we might even do it sooner than that. We might just record them someday if we find a couple hours that we can sit down and talk. Um, yeah, sounds good to me. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your your knowledge with us tonight. Hey, anytime. And uh, have a good. Well, I guess it's evening over there still. I almost said good night, but it's evening where you are. So have a good evening. Yeah, just turned seven. <laughs> All right. And thanks, John. And that that's John Carmen. And like I said, he, he mentioned the ghost at the White House and that has nothing that holds nothing in this story that he's gonna tell. <laughs>
the best story I have heard related to the show. I'm not lying to you. I promise you that. I I have no able. I can't even explain it to you. But that's my direct adlinks.com direct adlinks final thought. The story John has to tell you is hands down the best paranormal story I've ever heard. But we'll hear it coming up. And I don't overhype stuff. So, okay. Here we go. That's it. I've had enough. We're out. Put that on-air sign to the off position, a quick reminder. For all things about the report, previews and reviews, go to TMR247.com. Shows the knowledge and walk away the mysteries. Now these people, they know our name. The Mallard Report. Good night. Get connected with Take-Two Radio on Facebook or Twitter at Take-Two Radio. For email updates on future shows, follow at Blog Talk Radio. For previous episodes, upcoming guests, and more, visit Take-Two Radio.com.